All right, and welcome back. Our guest is Professor Ackerman from Yale Law School. Professor Ackerman, thank you for being with us. A pleasure. Uh, what would you like to know? Okay, well, for starters, why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself? About myself? <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, um, I was uh, born in the Bronx, <laughs> and uh, uh, um, I'm a child of the uh, public schools, uh, and uh, I happened to do well on tests, and so uh, uh, managed to get my way to uh, uh, Harvard College and the Yale Law School, and then uh, was... Uh, uh, I became a uh, principal legal assistant, they're called law clerks, to uh, uh, the leading conservative uh, 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 justice on the Supreme Court, John Marshall Harlan. Uh, uh, and uh, then, uh, after considering um, the question of whether I wanted to stay uh, as a, a wheeler dealer in Washington or not, I thought that it was best to... Um, Actually, uh, my skills would be best if I uh, went to university and actually tried to study um, the Constitution of the United States that uh, uh, really uh, uh, I owe a lot to, <laughs> personally. Uh, and uh, over time, I uh, have uh, done a lot of writing. I'm a lucky guy. Uh, they, uh, Yale has uh, made me one of the... Uh, I don't know how many there are, maybe 20 or so uh, university-wide Sterling professors, uh, uh, and that permits me to uh, uh, announce uh, courses uh, uh, which uh, are uh, 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 organized around what I'm going to do writing on for the next five years or so. Uh, and uh, the students are great, and they really... Uh, uh, challenge me, and uh, that's what I need. Uh, so over time, I've written a lot of books. Uh, the uh, ones that are most most relevant uh, here is a three-volume uh, attempt uh, over, uh, embarrassingly, maybe uh, 30 years uh, to uh, uh, study and write about the uh, development of the American Constitution from the founding to uh, the day before yesterday in the Civil Rights Revolution. Uh, and uh, uh, what to make of the uh, remarkable transformations of the American Constitution during uh, this period. Uh, and uh, it's also true that uh, from time to time I've uh, uh, done things in what I conceive to be the public interest. The one most relevant here was that uh, uh, because of my uh, work even then, uh, 25 years ago, uh, um, I uh, was asked by... Uh, uh, the White House to uh, serve as one of the two leading uh, uh, um, lawyers uh, uh, on behalf of President Clinton during his impeachment uh, um, uh, um, uh, proceedings in the House of Representatives, uh, the other person uh, being a leading lawyer, and they asked me to be uh, uh, the academic who might actually, uh, you know, know a lot. Uh, so, um, here I am, um, 23 years later, uh, looking upon this. This time, I uh, really didn't want to be one of the uh, uh, people who would testify. I thought I would uh, try to reflect more on uh, the long-term implications of this uh, tragedy that I'm witnessing. Okay. Well, can you start us off by telling us a little bit about your experiences that you had while testifying for the White House on behalf of President Clinton? 
Well, um, you know, I um, I wouldn't say that. You know, I, I uh, uh, wrote a uh, uh, a short book uh, in uh, 15 days uh, on the remarkable fact that the president was uh, impeached uh, by the House after the election. Uh, so this was a lame duck impeachment, uh, raising a host of profound constitutional questions. Uh, 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 and uh, did it expire uh, when the new Congress came into session? And uh, um, the, um, uh, was this uh, uh, a trivialization uh, of uh, the impeachment process? Shouldn't the new Congress have waited, uh, uh, you know, shouldn't the Republicans have waited for the new Congress uh, so that uh, newly elected representatives, not lame ducks who had been elected two years previously, would consider the matter. Uh, and I very much uh, believe that that was right. Uh, um, uh, nevertheless, Congress proceeded, and, uh, and uh, I uh, testified uh, both about this and about the larger issues, uh, but really, uh, as I'm was even then, it was uh, um, trying, uh, and this is my concern about the present impeachment, trying to prevent impeachment from becoming a normal weapon of political warfare, uh, uh, to normalize impeachment as a normal weapon. Uh, will um, be, have very profound and bad consequences uh, looking forward. Um, uh, uh, just, uh, you know, uh, uh, look forward 10 or 15 years and there'll be another president of the United States who uh, quite likely will be um, uh, face during some time in his or her presidency of four or six years, a House or a House and Senate controlled by the opposing party. How will they and Americans in general look upon this Trump impeachment? Will they understand it to be an extraordinary, a legitimate exercise of authority uh, uh, or will it uh, be just understood as another partisan uh, weapon? Um, and uh, it is my f profound hope that the second that will not be, you know, that will not be the view uh, that we come to. It's hard to know what view we'll come to because, you know, there are a lot of things that are still up in the air. But we should be thinking about the day after the day after tomorrow. That's going to be the theme that I'll be trying to develop here, too. Um, uh, but in any event, uh, uh, so that was... Uh, uh, the uh, real bottom line uh, of my um, uh, experience uh, uh, 23 years ago, I guess. Okay. Do you see any comparisons from that impeachment to the impeachment of today? Well, this is the crucial question. You see, um, uh, any president of the United States with um, – uh, um, uh, experience who, you know, is a mature person with a history um, will have made blunders in his life, sometimes serious blunders. 
right? Yeah. Uh, and so the crucial uh, question, you see, I don't think that the term high crimes and misdemeanors means that Congress can say anything is a, an impeachable offense. I very much reject that view. Um, what um, uh, the uh, uh, we have to put it in the historical context. Why did the American uh, revolutionaries revolt from King George III? The reason was that uh, King George uh, 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 didn't like what they were doing, and um, he sent troops over, and uh, he unilaterally, without the consent of the House of Commons or Parliament, um, uh, suppressed um, the efforts at self-government by the uh, rev uh, by the Americans, and that's what provoked the revolution. So when these people, the successful revolutionaries, went to Philadelphia in 1787, they disagreed about a lot of things. But one thing they did not disagree with, and I can tell you, alas, I have read and reread <laughs> the uh, uh, original uh, uh, documents and the uh, public debates at the time, um, they, they um, uh, were clear that the president of the republic um, will never be able to act like King George. He cannot become a de facto king. This was a republic. Um, and so, uh, but the problem was, you see, and this was very self-conscious, these people were smart, uh, whatever else you want to say about them. <laughs> uh, the problem was that um, the technical definitions of bribery and treason, I won't go into what the technical definitions were, were narrow. Uh, and given the fact that the uh, uh, powers of the president were substantial, it would be perfectly possible for the chief executive to engage in an escalating assault on the Constitution and become a autocrat without committing treason or bribery in the technical sense of the words understood by the then criminal law. Okay. Um, and that was the reason they put in other high crimes and misdemeanors. Other high crimes and misdemeanors isn't that any old bad thing that you do or even some really bad thing that you do uh, can be made into a high crime or misdemeanor. It's rather whether the, the, the offense is an element in a systematic effort by the president to overthrow the system of checks and balances and transform himself into a de facto king or an autocrat. Um, now, whatever one wants to say about uh, the charges, uh, the two impeachment charges uh, advanced by the Judiciary Committee, this is precisely the charge they are advancing in both their articles. Uh, that is, that the president, that this act is part of a pattern uh, of which indicates a systematic. I mean, this, the, 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 that the Ukrainian affair is not one act; it's a pattern of action. They also refer back to the Mueller report. 
in which he is consistently abusing his power. And the second count saying his act of ordering nine or more members of his administration not to testify before Congress um, is once again um, uh, an obstruction of Congress of the kind that um, a king <laughs> engages in. Now, we can talk about the merits of these charges and whether they should be convincing or not. But the, the deeper question is, is this, are these charges of the kind that represent uh, the paradigmatic offense that the founders were concerned about? That is, the republic, after all, was a very, you know, this is the first modern republic in 1787. Um, uh, and the, the crucial uh, issue for them uh, was, uh, will it become a monarchy? Uh, and the way it was going to happen was that uh, King, another King George uh, uh, would come on the scene. Now, they had this great advantage that George, their George, George Washington, was actually a very rare individual. Uh, I just wrote, published a book called Revolutionary Constitutions uh, by the Harvard Press, which uh, it talks about what is the relationship between uh, the 18th century experience of America and more modern efforts to establish republics. And the only person who is like George Washington uh, in the successful establishments of constitutional regimes uh, around the world since the, uh, the Second World War is Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela could have been the president for life. George Washington, if he had announced in uh, uh, 1796 that he was going to have a third term in office, everyone would have said, fine, George. Uh, he ref Mandela, after one term in office, uh, said, that's it. I want to hand over power to others because otherwise it would become, we, our republic would become an autocracy as many other republics in the African continent have become such when presidents become presidents for life. Uh, similarly, um, uh, uh, with George Washington, he was actually a man of character. <laughs> you can't always count on this kind of restraint. Uh, um, and, um, uh, and so the, uh, the founders had this advantage of knowing that it was going to obviously going to be George for the next uh, eight years. Uh, and then, and so they were then concerned about what happens next. Uh, and they had every reason to be because uh, between uh, 1796 and 1803, there was fierce partisan division uh, 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 between the uh, Jeffersonians and, uh, uh, and the party of Sam Adams over um, all, you know, who should control the country. Uh, and it was one of the most bitter times of partisan politics in the history of the United States. Uh, uh, and uh, this notion that the impeachment power 
was going to be used was very often invoked during this period. Anyway, I'm talking too much. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, one topic you did bring up that I Please. wanted to just talk about a yes. little bit, um, it's kind of a somewhat of a side conversation, is that you brought up whether or not these charges have any merit to them. Yes, of course. Now, two things that I want to know about this is, does the amount of merit to, um, kind of determine whether or not it's successful in the long run when it goes to be convicted or just in the impeachment process itself? Or, and, oh, sorry, and do you personally think these have any merit to them, these charges? The answer is that I don't, can't make a final judgment until the Senate impeachment trial occurs. Now, we should, people haven't been focusing for reasons I don't quite know, uh, understand, frankly. Um, uh, and they, it was not a focus when the four first-rate lawyers uh, uh, had that day, you know, before the Judiciary uh, uh, Committee. They didn't focus on the fact, and it is just a fact, that the rules of the impeachment trial in the Senate are part of the statutes of the United States. They aren't just little old rules. And what they say is this. Um, within uh, uh, 24 hours uh, after the uh, bill of impeachment, the House managers are the people who are in charge of the case for the House. The House managers now, uh, uh, present the bill of impeachment uh, on the floor of the Senate where it is publicly read out. Within 24 hours, Chief Justice Roberts shall be the presiding officer of the trial, which shall begin virtually immediately. Chief Justice Roberts, this is all, I'll give you even an explicit quote, uh, shall direct all forms of the proceedings, including ordering witnesses to testify. The only cases in which his orders, um, uh, and then he can also order them in contempt if they don't show up. The only um, uh, um, uh, occasions in which his control over the proceedings can be reversed is if Mitch McConnell can gain 51 votes to overturn the decision. It is already clear uh, that uh, uh, Mitch McConnell cannot, does not have the 51 votes. By their public statements, I won't, I won't enumerate them, um, uh, there have been at least four or five Republican senators, um, uh, from Mitt Romney to the senator from Maine and, and uh, uh, Alaska and a couple of others, who have already said that they are going to, you know, have an open mind. Uh, uh, they will not, by any means, side with Mitch McConnell over Chief Justice Roberts. Chief Justice Roberts, uh, is, you know, whatever you think about his substance, you see, and I'm not trying to, I'm talk to, trying to talk about foundations here, uh, rather than uh, yes or no, that kind of thing. Okay. Um, the uh, Chief Justice Roberts is a real, serious, professional jurist. You can agree or disagree with his particular rulings, but he takes impartiality seriously, and he especially takes it seriously 
in the light, but it, it wouldn't be necessary, but it's especially important uh, given the fact that if he is under, if he, his rulings are viewed by the general public, which of course will be watching these televised and on the airwave proceedings, uh, if he is seen to be partisan, this would be a terrible blow to the legitimacy of a court which who's in the light of um, uh, the recent uh, um, uh, 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 controversies over um, <coughs> sorry uh, over Kavanaugh uh, and Gorsuch. Uh, uh, so Roberts is going to be impartial. Each side has the authority to call witnesses, uh, request Roberts to call witnesses, and he will call them. Uh, and moreover, the uh, procedure, if it follows the past, the House managers will present their case, call the nine-plus witnesses, um, which uh, in a much more dramatic and compelling way than the kind of legalistic, thoughtful but legalistic um, proceedings in the House. You know, uh, this will be on <laughs> a lot of people be watching. Um, uh, then the president's lawyers will come in and have an equal opportunity. And I would suppose, I you know, I don't, I haven't talked to them. Uh, they will call uh, 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 Biden, both Bidens, as witnesses. Uh, uh, they they will Bidens will have to show up, just like the president's uh, uh, witnesses will have to show up. Uh, you know, I was uh, um, so both sides you know, will uh, be called upon to account for things. Um, uh, the, one of the obvious reasons why we have uh, only, uh, well, we have uh, a second, uh, we have the testimony of, uh, uh, of longtime uh, public servants who heard and participated, you know, listened uh, in on conversations, um, uh, uh, but we don't have the, you know, the uh, 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 testimony of other people whose testimony is completely relevant because the president has told these people not to show up. Once they show up, we'll see how they act uh, and respond to cross-examination. Similarly, we're going to see how Bidens, both Bidens <laughs> respond to cross-examination. How This is going to take weeks. It's not going to take a few days. The idea that Mitch McConnell will just ram this thing through uh, and stare down uh, the um, uh, Chief Justice of the United States who is saying, no, we have to be impartial, when the thing that Chief Justice, the, the thing that Mitch McConnell's success was, was precisely to get a lot of Republican jurists onto the courts, and including the two on the Supreme Court. Uh, so he's going to defy Chief Justice Roberts? I do not believe that this is at all possible, especially when there aren't 51 votes behind him. Uh, so we're going to have a serious trial, which will have a dramatic impact on public opinion. Now, um, the uh, people uh, say that uh, Americans are polarized. Um, the, um, it's certainly true that um, the political class is polarized. 
it's certainly true that, um, uh, let's say, um, uh, you know, I, I've uh, done quite a lot of empirical work in this uh, field. You know, they, if you uh, take surveys of the American people, there are 10% of the American people who are political junkies in the sense that um, – uh, 10% of the American people are sports junkies. They know, they follow, they know all about it. Then there is a, a decline. Uh, you know, if you're making $30,000 a year and you uh, uh, are, have a kid or two or, uh, and you're struggling to get the kids uh, uh, looking in decent shape and having food on the table and getting, sending them to college, sending them to, you know, uh, elementary school, it's understandable that you're not paying much attention <laughs> to what's going on in Washington. But in this drama, if you're not paying attention, somebody you know will be. Um, there's a lot of people who uh, 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 haven't made up their mind um, uh, beyond the political junkies. The political junkies are really polarized. And there is maybe 20% of the population, 25% who are strongly for Trump, and 25%, 30% strongly against him. But there's a lot who haven't really focused in on this as much as they know they should. So it's if this thing takes six weeks, eight weeks, I don't know uh, how public opinion is going to shift and in which direction. Will it shift in the direction of the president? Will it shift the direction of the, of the Democrats? Um, I don't know. But the important thing, however it turns out, is that the trial emphasize, as the uh, bill of impeachment suggests, the systematic character of these violations, if they occurred, whether they've occurred, um, is to be found out when we get a lot more evidence than we have now. They had, it seems to me, um, uh, uh, especially given the fact that the president has denied them access to the very people who could confirm or deny the very substantial amount of evidence that they do have, uh, um, uh, uh, adequate reason to go forward. But uh, just as in the grand jury, you see, the grand jury in a normal criminal case doesn't find that you're, you know, doesn't go forward when it finds that you're guilty, if, if it thinks that you're definitely guilty. No, it goes forward if a case has been made so that it's up to the jury to decide whether you're guilty. <laughs> um, similarly here, the question uh, is whether there was enough evidence to justify the House in moving the thing to the Senate, uh, once we get a lot more evidence uh, and the senators hear from the American people, you see, um, well, it's very hard to tell. One, on one side, um, there could be a tremendous swing in favor of the president. On the other side, we could see uh, a, uh, over, the next, over the course of weeks and months, uh, uh, a disintegration of the Republican uh, uh, sort of solidarity, um, because all of these people, see, two-thirds of the Republicans are going to be elected and uh, go up for election in 2022, 2024. Um, uh, this vote that they're going to make 
they don't know how it's going to look in 2022, 2024. Um, uh, they understand also, um, I know a few, uh, that this is going to be one of the moments that uh, uh, where uh, people will write about what they did in history. Uh, so I wouldn't, uh, uh, you know, it, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens uh, if public opinion swung, swung, swung in the direction of uh, the Democrats. I don't know. But the crucial thing, as I said, whichever way it swings, is that people know that this is just not a, a, a blunder, a serious blunder, but part of a practice in which is uh, undermining, assaulting this, the uh, system of democratic elections and the uh, uh, notion that the president has to gain the consent of Congress uh, for uh, a, 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 um, a serious public policy initiatives. Um, okay, so I have one last question for you. Please. And it's kind of, doesn't have to do particularly with the Trump impeachment or the Clinton impeachment, but it has to do with impeachment still. Is that looking into the future, do you see this as kind of something that will become kind of a somewhat in a, coming in a cycle of a political weapon that each side will use when they're not in power? Completely, right now, this is my fundamental concern. If at the end of this trial, people think that it's like a one-shot uh, blunder by the president, and not part of a systematic thing. Um, uh, well, then it, you know, Monica Lewinsky is president number one. Trump is president number two. You know, Monica Lewinsky was a real blunder by the president, and a serious one. Uh, it didn't, you know, there were. Uh, did it represent a systematic effort to? Uh, uh, assault the separation of powers and the foundational principles of the republic? I didn't think so at the time. I don't think people think so today. Um, if the judgment 10 years down the line is the same thing about uh, this e episode, it will indeed. We'll have two precedents within the living memory of a large percentage of the population of the weaponization of impeachment and then There'll be a third weaponization and a fourth weaponization 10 years later, and each time will generate a profound and increasing alienation by ordinary Americans. These clowns in Washington, don't they know that we have real problems? And here they are uh, engaging in character assassination. This would be a tragedy, a true tragedy in the sort of Greek, classical Greek case where um, uh, a, uh, 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 a fundamental element in the system of checks and balances, that is, impeachments when presidents want to become autocrats, is transformed into a weapon that will lead uh, to the general uh, demoralization of the American people and disaffection with our form of government, which has survived in many, despite many shocks over 200 years. All right. Well, Professor Ackerman, thank you for being with us. Well, it's a, it was a pleasure. Well, I wouldn't say pleasure, but uh, 
uh, anyway, and was uh, useful to me, at least, for clarifying my thinking, and I hope it's useful for your listeners. Uh, thank you very much. It will be. Thank you very much for being with us and coming on. Righto.